Well, I'm here with Steve uh, Auth, and you've written a book called The Missionary of Wall Street, and you are a, an investment manager. You have a mutual fund that uh, you run and uh, in New York City. And uh, earlier this week, you rang the bell for Wall Street, is that right? New York Stock <laughs> Exchange, Exchange yeah. Monday morning. He did? <laughs> yeah. Is that the ceremonial thing? Or is uh, that... Our company, uh, Federal Investors, uh, just launched a new ticker symbol on the New York Stock Exchange. We did a big merger with actually a company involved with environmental, social governance, investing, ESG, uh, which we think is actually a pretty good thing. Mm -hmm. And um, launched a new ticker. And uh, you know the, the senior executives of the company were down there ringing uh -oh. the uh, bell okay. of the New York Stock Exchange. It was a fun honor to do, actually. So you're full-time working and you do street evangelization. And tell us about the organization. You described it as, as a wing of or a part of Regnum Christi. And the, uh, the street mission in New York is... Um, was organized by a, mem a number of Regnum Christi folks, including myself. Uh, it was actually, the concept was a diocesan priest, Monsignor Sicano, who uh, was at that time just named the pastor of Old St. Patrick's Cathedral in down in Soho, which mm -hmm. is one of the oldest uh, cathedrals in New York, the original seat of the archdiocese. A lot of the uh, former Catholic, um, you know, parishioners were moving out. The old Italian and, and Irish and Chinese communities, um, and the new folks coming in weren't really coming to church. And so he thought, uh, "I need to do something." And he asked uh, Regan Christie, who were known for doing evangelizing type things. That's kind of our charism. Mm -hmm. If um, if we would help. And um, I actually approached my wife, who dragged me into it, Father. Hmm. And since it's broadened out, I mean, we have um, we've had all sorts of groups around the city join us. Even the Friscans Friars of the Renewal have mm -hmm. been with us. The Sisters of of Life, uh, mm -hmm. the Opus Dei folks. Mm -hmm. um, but the core of it has always been Regnum Christi missionaries. And how often are you out on the sidewalk? We are out uh, now four times a year. So we're, we're there, uh, started out as a Triduum around Holy Week and then extended to all of Holy Week from um, Holy Monday right through Holy Saturday. So that's our big week. And mm -hmm. then we're there uh, during Advent, usually for two or two nights at least, mm -hmm. uh, right before Christmas. Uh, we're there on Ash Wednesday, which is like, shooting fish in a barrel, frankly. Mm. And then we're there during the San Gennaro Festival in the fall around mm. the Feast of San Gennaro, which is actually the largest street festival in New York City. Mm. Um, so we try to anchor it, Father, around a Catholic holy day because we find that that's when, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is tugging at people, maybe deep down, almost subconsciously, but especially even fallen away Catholics uh, feel the tug of the Lord a little bit more strongly then. And so if missionaries out, um, maybe they're a little more disposed to stop and talk. Hmm. And are you also, do you do stuff in your parish, like in your local parish that you go to mass at or? 
yeah, we have all sorts of apostolates mm-hmm. um, that we do in our local parishes, mm-hmm. you know, men's gospel groups mm-hmm. and um, the circles. Uh, we have a, a, an apostolate called uh, for women. Um, so, yeah, we do things in the parish, but... Mm-hmm. The idea of a mission like this, Father, uh, and there's this theme in the Missionary Wall Street about this, these walls, I call them the walls. And uh, the idea is that uh, today, in today's culture, I I think society is increasingly pushing people of faith inside the walls of their parishes. They kind of don't want us as part of the conversation on the street, right? Mm -hmm. Literally. Mm -hmm. And many us, people of faith, uh, actually prefer being inside the walls. It's safer there. We're with like-minded people. In fact, we need that. We need that support and formation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but- get, I get the analogy. that <laughs> So, yeah, you Catholics can be the light of the world, but we want you to be a sanctuary light. You know, not out in the street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we all become a sanctuary light and it, it's safer there. And and um, the Missionary of Wall Street is, is kind of runs with this theme because if you've ever been to Soho, you would know that the Cathedral of St. Patrick's is actually surrounded physically by a 10 foot high brick wall mm. that was built to protect the parish from the locals back mm. in the early uh, 18th, 19th century. And mm. so... Um, you know, early on, I find the missionaries are huddling inside the walls. And, you know, we think to ourselves, well, you know, we've got to go outside the walls. Right. Because it's outside the walls where the fallen away Catholics are. They're mm-hmm. not in the parishes. <laughs> right. And we're kind of preaching to the choirs inside the walls. Right. And it's kind of messy outside the walls. I mean, that's certainly, you know, you, you see that in the book, the, um, the messiness out there and the confusion. Mm-hmm. and the difficulty mm-hmm. but that's where christ is he's out there right. and he needs us to be out there with him i'm very convinced of that and that, that's one thing i wondered you know you were on life on the rock and uh i know do you get a lot of people that maybe a little bit uh not on the beam so to speak and they they just want to talk or you know they're not really interested in the but they see it as an opportunity that they can get out of their loneliness maybe in isolation and um do you have a lot of that going on too oh yeah uh, we we get plenty of conversations where um people have something on their mind they want to get off their mind so we're open to that because in some ways or other, we feel them that they are searching for the Lord. I mean, when people are feeling disconnected, it's because they've cut themselves off from their Creator. They may mm-hmm. not even realize that, and mm-hmm. um, so we embrace that and, and we try to provide a moment for them uh, where they can feel that love of the Lord and maybe come and visit the church, even if they're not Catholic. We often will get folks to come in and light a, a candle in the church for us, say a prayer. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have a chapter in, in the Missionary Wall Street Father called uh, Planting Seeds. And we think as missionaries, um, of course, it's wonderful when you get someone all the way to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. You close the deal. <laughs> yeah, you close the deal. But And we all want to be kind of kings of the kingdom and know the ending of all the stories. But we're really just agents of the kingdom. So yeah. we feel very strongly that 
you know, we're, we're peeling off layers here. We, we have an expression that it sometimes takes 150 peels to get to the core of someone. Mm -hmm. So when we've been successful, we realize that it may be because of someone before us who peeled off the first few layers. And sometimes other times, well, that's our job. So, and we have, we have so many stories of people who come back years later after we peel mm -hmm. a layer two off and they come back at, you know, ready to receive the sacrament of reconciliation that weren't, you know, three years earlier, but they have right. a rosary we gave them. So we embrace that. We let the Lord take us, Father, um, where, where he will. And the, what's transformative, and we talked a little bit on the show about this, that on the one hand, the mission is certainly about bringing people closer to him. And, you know, the numbers are a little staggering. We, we've spoken over 3 million people now on the streets of New York. And, wow. Uh, How many people are involved in the missionary work? We've had up to 1,000 missionaries, Father, now out there. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and you got to realize the flow of traffic, pedestrian mm. traffic in Soho is tremendous. Sometimes it's overwhelming, a flood of people. Is Soho the financial district? No, oh, Soho so. is up from the financial district. Okay. You could walk there, but it's uh, just south of Greenwich Village. Mm -hmm. Soho means south of Houston. Greenwich mm. Village is north of Houston. So mm. it's kind of wedged between Houston and Canal, which is the border of Chinatown. So oh. it borders Little Italy, Father, you may know yeah. that mm. section. So it's mm. in there and it's, you know, older homes and factories and things, but it has become one of the chicest neighborhoods in New York City, some mm. of the most expensive real estate. It's actually very affluent, a lot of, mm. um, you know, restaurants and things. So you, you get a lot of people. I mean, when St. Teresa came to New York, I think one of the things she said was that there aren't so many poor people here, but the, the real poverty here is spiritual poverty. Oh, Mother Teresa. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, so we feel that, and we're kind of serving the poor in a different way here on this mission. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think it's a great way to look at it. Yeah, that, that just playing a part. You know, St. Paul talks about planting the seed, someone else watering it, and and I, I think that's it's really a helpful way to look at. It. I sometimes I just think as a priest, you know, I was kind of ordained early on in the church scandals and. Uh, and I have people I'd meet like in airports, or whatever. I would just try to say, I'm just trying to put a nice, friendly face to the priesthood right now. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's like, it's like just the, just the first step. Hey, we're yeah. not, you know, we're not terrible people. And, and I, I think that is, somebody said it, I was a postulate working on a show like 1994, Florida acting. And they had the layman who was talking about evangelization and he was talking about evangelizing coworkers and everything. He said, first be, be a friend to them. Then why would they really want to listen to you? Yeah. You know, if you're a jerk at work or you're cheating on this or that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so true, Father. And it's, um, you know, I say to the missionaries uh, that our two secret weapons are the weapons used by the first century Christians when they took the Roman world by storm. You know, 12 fishermen from Jerusalem and... Um, you know, hundreds, millions converted within a first couple hundred years. Right. And the two key attributes of the early Christian missionaries were love and joy. Love 
as a Christian knows it, agape love, self-sacrificing mm -hmm. love, pure love, enjoy not how this culture recognizes it, but a kind of deep confidence that we know our place and we're not afraid and we know we're beloved sons and daughters of Christ. And importantly, um, the missionaries, we believe that everyone we meet is a brother in Christ because we're all beloved sons of God. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we're all brothers and sisters and we love everyone. There's a scene in the missionary at Wall Street where a Hindu monk comes by and he's watching these two missionaries at work. And out of the corner of my eye, I'm keeping my eye on them because I'm always kind of ready for the next confrontation, you know, and how am I going to react? And I always want to react as joyfully as I can. And um, it can be very disarming to people, Father, by the mm -hmm. way. Um, especially an angry atheist. I mean, we've had people, you know, start a conversation with you Catholics all want to kill us. And within 15 minutes, we have them in the church praying for us. Mm. But in any case, this Hindu monk comes over after about 15 minutes and he says, listen, fellas, uh, uh, you're not going to convert me just to, you know, I'm, I'm a Hindu monk. I wasn't sure why you should call it. I don't know what you call a Hindu monk. Was he dressed like? Oh a, yeah, like absolutely. Said, you know, so. And I said, no, no. I we know that you know yeah. we get it. He says, but I just want to say this. I've been watching you two for the last fifteen minutes, and what's remarkable to me is there. It's very clear that there's this sort of deep love you have for everyone you meet. There's people, you know, the people that are ignoring you, the people that are almost spinning at you or yelling at you, and then the people that are engaging with you. It, it doesn't seem like it to matter. You, you mm -hmm. have this deep love. And he, he says, I haven't seen this on the streets in New York. It's really very beautiful, mm -hmm. and you should keep on doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of, you know, pick. it's a pick-me-up for me that I, I think, you know, there's a reason why love works or Actually, the missionary Wall Street starts off with, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's what we're made for. Yeah. God's love. We're made to be with him, and it's what people want. I, I loved on the show you mentioned, like, your simple question of how's it going. And because <laughs> I, I was reflecting, it's like, I mean, I talk to people, we wear the habit, and I... I really ask people that. <laughs> I thought that was a great Well, you start. probably have better lines, Father. <laughs> but I think that's I'm very I'm just a good. dopey layperson, you know. Uh, I don't have all the theology. Uh, so we, we try to just ask questions and engage people. And we find that um, people in the streets of New York usually are pretty intelligent, you know, very mm -hmm. well-educated um, and you're not going to argue them in to church. I mean, I'm not half educated myself, Father, yeah. but I know better than to think I can argue folks right. into the church. Right. I mean, it's an act of love. And so we think what you want to do is engage them. And um, people aren't used to people being interested enough to ask a question. Of course, you could ask a question in a hostile way, but if you ask it in a loving way, that actually shows... Mm -hmm. I mean, it, we're not making it up. We actually, we love everyone. We really do, Father. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds kind of corny, but we really are interested, mm -hmm. you know? And when you ask a question like that with a kind of deep, 
tender interest. It is remarkable to me. It may be just the anonymity of a streetside encounter, but people will open their hearts to you. And um, once they start doing that, you can drill down fairly quickly, pretty deep. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think too, he's like, everybody has suffering, cross, difficulty. And, and the, the whole, the catechism talks about the whole Christian mystery is an answer to this problem of evil, its existence, human suffering. Not that there's a tidy answer that Jesus suffered and died for us, took on all this. And, and it's like, because I remember being struck by, I was reading a conversion story of a, this woman that sobered up from alcoholism. And she was, she had a child, I think she was trying to find a religion to practice. And when she went to the Catholic church and she saw the crucifix and it just hit her, he said, uh, you know, this, well, this God knows something about human suffering and mm. you know and I connect with that in my life because yeah. she was beaten into humility submission yeah. by yeah. alcohol yeah. you know but I think that's true for all of it. I remember everybody's got something they're dealing with yeah and it's like okay I've got something that maybe can help you you know yeah <laughs> and, uh, no it's so true father I've been um, one of the talks I've been given around the country um, on the missionary of Wall Street is I, I call it the 12 paths to the heart of a missionary and again, it's not written from the aspect of a theologian, but simply a lay person who has experienced a journey that led him away from the faith and finding his way home. And um, the very first path for me mm -hmm. is to embrace suffering. Hmm. It's part of the human condition, and we all have that opportunity, if you mm -hmm. will. And it's really in embracing suffering that we... I find I drew myself very close to the Lord. Hmm. And the key, I think, is um, it's easy to turn to him when things are dark and tough. But the key is, I call that being in the zone, you know, and to take that into the life after that suffering and, hmm. and try to hold on to that. I, you know, I... Um, I think it's a, a wonderful way. Um, of course, none of us can suffer like the Lord suffered. Um, the little sufferings we get are mm -hmm. just such a minor mm -hmm. inconvenience uh, compared to yeah. what he went through. Yeah. But even in a little way, we kind of share with him something, an experience. Right. right. And I think it can be the beginning. For me, it was the beginning of a deeper spiritual renewal. Uh -huh. And that kind of happened after an initial, like you talked about on the show, going to confession, and that embracing of suffering in a deeper way happened some years after that? Or? Well, uh, it actually happened initially in the midst of it, right? Yeah. I, I actually nearly died um, from a heart failure. Um, but, and it's not really in the Missionary of Wall Street, we kind of edited all this out because it became too... <laughs> too long, but mm -hmm. uh, in my case, there were a lot of other sufferings that came. Um, one time, I even went blind on a mission in Mexico, uh, temporarily, you know, on one eye, uh, mm -hmm. and I it really drew myself close. That that really drew me close to him. Mm -hmm. That experience, it was very, very beautiful. Um, Evelyn has gone through a lot of sufferings, and it's mentioned briefly in the book. 
than, than my wife. Mm. Um, but of course, she and I are like a mind meld, and mm. um, her suffering is my suffering. But mm. all of that, in fact, there's a wonderful story in the near the end of the Missionary of Wall Street that talks about a suffering that Evelyn was going through during a mission that led to a very kind of deep conversion of another soul that is very beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I think suffering is part of the human condition, Father, isn't it? Yeah. And um, we either fight it. In today's society, we want to fight it, you know, and pray right. that we don't get it and, uh, you know, have it go away. And right. we don't really embrace it. Right. Well, let's talk about a little bit more about your conversion story that... Uh, you know, I grew up in the 70s, 80s and saw Wall Street and uh, Robert Milliken and all that in the 80s. And were you in that um, in New York? I mean, all that. I mean, I think of like kind of the height of consumerism and greed. And I mean, it's a great, I love capitalism, but yeah. there's clearly some excesses at times. Yeah. Were you in that, all that excitement and pressure and stress? and? Uh, yeah, my whole life, Father, I've been in, in that. In fact, um, back in the 80s, I was doing big, um, they would call them junk bonds or leverage buyouts of uh, very large companies. Mm. Um, sometimes Mike Milken was on the other side of, of some of those deals even. Um, so, uh -huh. yeah, I was in the thick of it. Now, Father, um, you know, Wall Street is often mis misportrayed. I mean... Mm -hmm. You know the movies, the Hollywood version. Uh, you know the, mm -hmm. uh, the 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 Wolf of Wall Street. In fact, that's one reason why Sophia Press wanted to name the missionary mm -hmm. Wall Street the mm -hmm. book. It was never my title for the book, Father. Mm -hmm. My title was Delivered by Grace, which we could talk about. But um, yeah, it's a kind of play on that. But yeah. the reality is, there's actually, um, and even though I didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord, and uh, I'm certainly no saint, not even to this day, but I was certainly a person of virtue. I mean, my father had taught me some of the core virtues of integrity and mm -hmm. honesty and, you know, looking out for the other guy. And, and that kind of thing was a part of my DNA from when I was a small child growing up in a working class neighborhood in Newark. And there's a lot of people on Wall Street who have that DNA, actually. And know that um, while you could be like Gordon Gecko and be trying to rip people's eyeballs out of their skull on every deal, <laughs> that's really, if you think about it, um, not a very good way to build a business relationship, right. right? If you are trying to build a long-term business relationship with people, which a lot of people on Wall Street are trying to do, it's far better to treat them right mm -hmm. than to treat them poorly. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of sinners on Wall Street, Father, but, and there's not a lot of saints, but um, it's not nearly as bad as it seems, I think, right. uh, in Hollywood. Right. Nevertheless, I, as I said on the show, I did not have anything that I could call a relationship with Jesus uh, for much of my adult life. Well, it's part of the issue, too, is like, you know, a lot of people making a lot of money and just, you know, it could be a temptation just having a lot of money, a lot of stuff, distraction. And, you know, it's, 
even if you're a decent person going into this and you start after a while and get successful, I would just think that's a big temptation, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the difficulty of getting to heaven with the more riches you have. Mm -hmm. I mean, what happens, Father, is, um, you know, I tell people what, what happens is you end up, we're all seeking our Creator, but we end up chasing His creations instead, thinking mm -hmm. that that's our route to Him, and we kind of right. lose track of where we were originally headed, right? right? So right. Um, you can be very distracted. And yeah. it's interesting, before that heart thing, where I nearly did came close to dying, um, I found out years later that my wife had written a prayer a few months earlier, um, basically entitled, Lord, Disturb Us, hmm. based on a prayer that she had read. I can't remember where, but there's a prayer about that. Hmm. And um, I think she felt, she was always the more devout of the two of us, that we needed something more in our lives, but things were going too well, Father, maybe. I think Teresa of Avila has a famous prayer about let nothing disturb you. And maybe your wife turned it around and said, well, we need yeah, to be disrupt disrupted. Us. <laughs> yeah, disrupt us, yeah. Father. Yeah. I said, well, sweetheart, next time you say that prayer, what? Like, could you like be a little more specific about which of us should be disrupted? <laughs> right, right. But you've, um, you apparently, you seemingly encountered a lot of decent people and that the line of work, it is possible to be virtuous there. And uh, so that was all before you, right? That it. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, of course, Father. I mean, yeah. I, I could regale you with stories of people who are less than virtuous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, virtuous maybe on one level, but not another. Right. Um, but it's not the, true, frankly, that everybody who's on Wall Street is a crook and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, short-sighted, uh, yeah. you know, tyrant. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not. It, I think, uh, I have another talk I've been given at a lot of universities around the country. In fact, I just gave one up at Harvard Business School uh, two weeks ago on a Sunday night. Hmm. And, um, I was thinking, wow, this is something, Harvard Business School. And, and one of the students said to, came to me later that the name of the talk is uh, Humility at the Highs. Mm -hmm. And it's spiritual lessons from a Wall Street world. And one of my guys at work said, Stephen, you, know, you should write down all these little, they call them authisms, these little mm -hmm. expressions I have about how to conduct ourselves. And um, I stepped back and thought about it. I said, you know, like all these Christian virtues, they're, they're really very helpful. And they're part of our culture at Federated Hermes. Um, but one of the expressions is humility at the highs, confidence at the lows, integrity always. Mm. And that's one of my mantras at work. Uh, and it works really well, actually, in the spiritual life, but it works pretty well on Wall Street, too. Um, you know, when things are going well, that's when... Often, um, a portfolio manager has a tendency to think he's a genius or <laughs> she's a genius and mm -hmm. steps just a bridge too far. <laughs> and then, of course, when things are going poorly, uh, that's when you want to you know, give up and you think, I must be a dope, and you right. get yourself whipsawed. So confidence at the lows, 
And integrity always is about the importance of treating people fairly. It always works yeah. over the long haul, actually. It's, I've, it's, I've heard that from many businessmen. Yeah, develop the relationship, trust and everything, and that's successful. Yeah, know? it works. Huh. If you're building something for the long haul. Right. Let me ask you, too, I don't know if you talk about this or thought about it much, but you know, capitalism has kind of taken a lot of heat, the Occupy movement and things you hear in the church and everything. But, you know, I kind of see it as it's kind of like laws of economics and it's efficient. You know, you can make money and be successful and everything. And and even Pope Benedict talked about it in his encyclical and social justice about, you know, this desire to, to develop to cultivate until the garden's a good thing, you know, yeah. to build wealth and stuff. Yeah. And it, it seems like, I, I just read a stat not that long ago that talked about, yeah, we see this great disparity, rich and poor, but generally it's like uh, people's standard of living overall, globally, has increased, which kind of blew me away. You never hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so just of like, Free market principles and stuff. Do you ever talk about that and how that squares with our faith? And uh, yeah, Father. In a way, that's what that talk about humility at the highs is about. Um, interestingly, I'm giving the keynote address at the uh, Principal Entrepreneurship Conference. Uh, you know, the uh, Napa Conference in New York every fall. This fall, mm. um, on that very topic, mm. on woke capitalism from a Catholic perspective. <laughs> And um, I'm still praying a lot, Father, on how I'm going to approach that talk. But mm -hmm. conceptually, my view is that, um, first of all, capitalism is not a perfect system. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, it has worked better than anything else over time because the individual incentive is important and the dignity of the individual is respected. And once you take that away which socialism tends to do, um, you know, the system is not self-sustaining. And, and so one of the principles that we have at the Lumen Institute, which uh, I helped found in New York City, and it's really geared around helping form Catholic business leaders to bring Christian virtues to the workplace, is this, that while capitalism is really probably the least worst system for organizing an economy and growing it and sharing its benefits with everyone else. It has its sharp edges. And, um, you know, if you can bring a, a more of a moral compass to the business leaders that are running these businesses, uh, you can soften the rough edges of capitalism and keep the good without um, necessarily having the bad. And, that, and that's sort of one of the things that we're really big on um, is is that, that the Christian virtues are a way of working within the capitalist system, economic system, to soften the rough edges and preserve the dignity of every person. I mean, a lot of things that woke capitalism talks about, I smile about. And I, I, I say, well, you know, you can get all the courses in the world to bring people into a classroom and explain to them what the respect of an individual means and mm -hmm. 
and that kind of thing. And they can take careful notes and try to apply that the next time they come to the office. But it's a heck of a lot easier if you internalize it and you, you believe in the dignity of every individual and the importance of long-term relationships and, and the value of a customer as a person and the importance of not cheating that person. As a Christian, you wouldn't do that. Um, if you believe in integrity in your heart, as that's what a, a good woman or man of, the, of Christ does, you know, and if you have these as your internal moral compass father, it's a heck of a lot easier than having the government put in place a lot of laws and regulations that you have to follow to the T, um, which of course everyone will try to figure a way, way around. I mean, it, it, it works a lot better when you believe it. Right. Yeah, I, I know I've heard it said that like when we're not doing what we can and should do for ourselves, you know, the government's got to come in and rescue the family or make, yeah. make businessmen behave or Enron or whatever it is, you know. But, you know, something that struck me, too, about capitalism, you know, one of the tenets of social justice teaching the church is the right to private property. And you see that in Genesis, right? He gives them the garden to till and cultivate before the fall. Yeah. There, there was a concept of work that was you know, hadn't become toil yet. There was a, we were to develop ourselves and working. And, and capitalism allows for that right to private property, you know, with incentives to develop it and everything. And to, and so, you know, that aspect's beautiful. I, I guess the tough parts is when you, it seems like, you know, you get people that, uh, you know, are struggling or they're not strong people that, you know, they might have some handy you know, or whatever, uh, might be challenged in some way and and they get left behind <laughs> you know that's maybe the edges some of the edges you're talking about yeah and then yeah. you figure out how do you work around i mean if you're fortunate enough to be successful on wall street and you've accumulated some wealth um and I, i'm not you know in in bill gates's territory right. but evelyn and i have done pretty well but you you, you see yourself as a steward I, that's how I, I view whatever wealth I have. I'm simply a steward of, of it, and I'm careful with it in that sense in terms of how I spend it on myself versus I know that it's going to go to various others that need it. And as an example, Father, we're right just now, it happens this weekend, completing a big fundraising for a project that I helped start down in Florida called Immokalee Rebuilds. And it's, um, you know, we build homes with a partner called Habitat for Humanity, Collier County, um, in the immigrant village in Immokalee. These are very poor families that, um, you know, can't afford their own home. But one of the things, and a lot of my Wall Street firms, uh, friends uh, participate in that and um, help me with the fundraising. This year we're going to be building four homes down there. And then I got students from Ave Maria University who helped me with the actual building of the homes. Mm. But one of the things I love about the project and the thing that a lot of my Wall Street um, Lumen friends like about it is it preserves the dignity of the individual. So we're not just handing out home free houses to people. Mm. In, in the business model that Habitat has 
built, which is again founded by a Christian organization. Father, you may be familiar with them. Mm. Um, the, each family has to put 500 hours of sweat equity alongside of us building their own home. So they have a sense that they help build it. And here's what's really interesting. Each family has to have, pay for the home through a mortgage. The mortgage has no interest rate on it. And it's only for the cost of the home, not the market value of it. Mm. And the mortgage payments, frankly, are usually less than what they were paying the landlord of the mobile home, the lapidated mobile home that they were living in. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a doable proposition for them. But importantly, uh, and I now have been involved with this project ever since Hurricane Irma kind of dragged us into it when there was so much destruction out there. But, uh, you know, you go to these ceremonies where these families that you've helped are paying off their last mortgage check and you see the joy in their hearts and you see how they're, you know, there's nothing like a home to help a family. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you see the dignity that they have. It's so much different than a government handout. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean about this, you know, soft thing, the softer edges of capitalism. Right. So there's something capitalistic about this, right? Yeah. People have to take a mortgage. They have right. to work. Right. It's even uh, St. Paul told people, you know, you have to work. I, he did his mission work at night. He right. was working so intense during yeah. the day, right? right. So um, there's some reason for that. And I think it's because it preserves the dignity of every person. Yeah. And I, you mentioned marriage and... Um, you know that uh, the pressures on on marriages when they have financial problems. I I was reading this study like in I think it was in Alabama or in the South about reasons for divorce and things and like because it got my attention because it didn't say like faith was up there like to keep a couple together. It was like poverty was the single biggest indicator of divorce and they had like lack of you know education and things and um and it seems like i've heard people talk about that that you know there's a certain amount of money and when you get over a certain hump where you have like basic necessities then it doesn't really make you that much happier you know no <laughs> but at the beginning it makes it you know. yeah it makes a big difference and <laughs> yeah. yeah i've been very blessed in that sense yeah. Yeah. although you know the other thing is like financial squabbles can often sink a marriage i mean one of the best things i did uh, the day after we got married is I handed my checkbook to Evelyn. Mm -hmm. And I told her, sweetheart, you, you handle all the bills. Now, first of all, I hate handling bills. Huh. But second of all, from that day forward, I have no idea what she spends money on. <laughs> I've never seen any credit card statements. Um, people ask me, you know, how much is your utility bill? Well, actually, I don't know. <laughs> And it's made our marriage a lot happier. You know? <laughs> and God bless her. Uh, she's she's very good with money. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's no arguments about money. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned her a lot in the show. And, and that's clearly been a big factor in your faith journey, your marriage. Yeah. And she can is, you talk about that relationship a little? Yeah, Father, you know, Evelyn... Um, She's the real deal. I mean, people meet her and 
um, there's something very special about her. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a certain glow, you know, and uh, you know, I, I was watching Fox News when I saw someone mentioned their wife. They were talking about the the most handsome man in Hollywood or something, and the most beautiful woman. He said, "Well, my wife's the most beautiful woman." And I thought, well, I would say this. Um, my wife is the most beautiful woman I know, the most intelligent woman I know, but importantly, the most deeply spiritual woman I know. And mm. she's been my my soulmate um, and has very patiently stuck with me, you know, on my journey. Uh, and uh, we're on this wonderful journey together um, that's been just very beautiful. And, and the mission has been wove up inside of it. It ends, uh, the, the Missionary Wall Street ends very abruptly. Even the, the uh, editors were asking me, Steve, I mean, this is kind of an abrupt, I mean, like, what happens here? <laughs> and uh, it has to do with Evelyn, you know? And, and I said to him, you know, this is what a missionary journey is, right? We never know the ending. Mm. Um, but every step along the way is a mystery and it's very beautiful. And so, yeah, she's very special, Father. I've been very, very blessed. Hmm. In your like in your journey and faith journey, have you is it have you been ever had a desire just to pull out of all the, the financial stuff in your work and go full time uh, missionary or? <laughs> yeah, um, it's gone all. One side to the other, Father. First of all, I, I love what I do on Wall Street, mm -hmm. and I feel a real calling to it. And um, I know the people I, I work with, as I was teasing you earlier, actually, I work for virtually everyone that's supposed to be working for me. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really big on servant leadership, Father. But um, As I prayed on it, I, I feel I do feel that, that quote you mentioned from Pope Benedict is actually one that I've read, oh. and I do think it's it's a calling that the Lord asked of me, and one because I think I'm somewhat talented at it, frankly, and have had a very positive effect on my colleagues and my firm and our clients and their ability to accumulate money for their retirement. But at another level, um, and life is a mystery, because the other question I've asked myself is why, why oh why did you ask me to do this? Mm -hmm. I'm talking now about the mission. And there's so many more people that would be more qualified and far mm -hmm. holier, uh, particularly from where I started. Mm -hmm. And, um, I asked myself, or I asked the Lord, I said, you know, why did you call me to this? It doesn't make any sense. And what's become gradually sort of apparent to me is he may have had a, he may have called me for a reason, maybe. As I think my position um, on Wall Street, and I am, you know, I'm not famous or anything, but I'm, you know, I'm known. I'm on, on a lot of the TV shows fairly regularly. It, the idea that this guy is a missionary, is is challenging to people, and um, I think I have a platform and a level of influence that I wouldn't otherwise have, and um, 
I think the Lord's using that in some ways. Right. Can you talk more about uh, servant leadership? And because that's how Christianity views leadership and all authority is to be used in service. Yeah. Well, I talk about that a lot. I, um, you know, I tell people, you know, while we're here idolizing all these great leaders of Wall Street and businesses and, you know, the wonderful businesses they've built. And in our own firm, you know, we all have great fondness of our founder, uh, founder federated Jack Donahue, who was a very Catholic, by the way. Um, but here, you know, here's a guy who built the largest organization in the history of the world that has lasted for 2000 years and has 1.2 billion employees today. Uh, Any estimation of the value? Of the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, as, I, as I said to someone who, in another context, said to me once, you know, Steve, you know, this was actually um, uh, someone you may know, Bill Bennett. Uh, I was on his podcast, and Bill was as a friend, and he said, Steve, you know, I, I've done the math on your, uh, you know, some numbers here in your book. I've picked up on different pages. I put them together. And I kind of had a feeling where this was heading. He says, you know, um, it takes, it looks to me like, you know, you talk to 3 million people and you found 250,000 Catholics and you got 15,000 back to confession. So I'm just doing the math on that. And it seems like on any given person you greet, you have a 0.05% chance that you'll be successful. He said, this is like, really like bad odds <laughs> for a guy from Wall Street. <laughs> it doesn't seem very smart. Right. And I said, Bill, let me give you some more math. Yeah, it's a low margin business for sure. But one times eternity hmm. equals eternity. So yeah, Father, 1.2 billion times eternity. <laughs> right. It's a big pile of dough. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So the Lord is, you know, he's the ultimate servant leader. And you could read the Gospels as a lesson in leadership, right? He, he works so patiently with these 12 dopey apostles. And at one time prodding them, but always guiding them in a loving way, right? Challenging them when they're when he has to call them out and almost upgrading them maybe. Sometimes mm -hmm. even losing his temper a tad. Um, but always there to lift them up. I, I love the scene on the lake where he walks on water. And it's his, he's training Peter for this job, right? And he encourages Peter to come. You can do this. You can walk on water. I mean, in a way, this is what the leader, mm -hmm. right? We're trying to get people to be confident they can walk on water. And he actually helps show them how to do it. But he's there to catch them when he falls, too, so that, you know, he doesn't die on them. You know, mm -hmm. in another context, I had someone wanted to get on a plane to go to Tokyo next week and I, I said listen Tom uh, you know I'm not a bleeding heart or anything and you know if you want to go kill yourself 
but I can't afford to have you guys go right now. <laughs> <laughs> From a business perspective, so you're not going. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the servant leader, I think, lifts up. He doesn't tear down. He inspires. He doesn't command. Um, and importantly, he doesn't demand authority or he doesn't view authority as a way to exercise control over others, but rather it needs to be earned. You know, influence needs to be earned. You you can't you can't order influence. Mm-hmm. Um, a servant leader is humble, um, joyful, and yes, loving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many of my emails at work, you know, I'll say something like, you know, "Love Steve," and I mean it. <laughs> Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm not the perfect servant leader, by the way, Father. I'm still working on it, but mm. you know, it's a work in progress. How about like all the big decisions you got to make? And is there, a pro- I mean, especially like it seems so speculative mutual funds and investments and predicting trends and all that. That must. Does that generate a lot of fear, or do you have a process? Is it kind of mechanical? Step A, B, C, then try it, or yeah. So, <laughs> um, actually, Father, my my motto this year, if last year my motto was uh, humility at the highest, confidence at the lows, and the confidence at the lows was very important because, of course, your father, you you would have remembered, but in December of 2018, a little over a year ago, the market dropped 20%. Mm. And we had a view, I had a view that the market was gonna go up considerably through the course of the year. Um, 30, I was predicting a 30% move in the market. And mm. um, of course, everyone thought we were crazy. And I kept reminding my portfolio manager's confidence at the lows. This is not a high right now. Mm. So we need to be confident in what we're doing. We have a good process for investing. It's not speculative. We're not just chasing things Mm. here. We've done our homework. Yes, these stocks seem to be on sale. They are on sale. Let's have conviction here and move forward. My motto this year is be not afraid. And um, I think it's going to be a tougher year and a year where um, there are going to points that we're going to feel very fearful and we're going to need to have conviction there. But um, emotions, Father, uh, you know, I have all this training in economics and business theory and all these things. I always tell people, you know, if I had it to do all over again, I would have majored in psychology. (laughs) Because I have found now... Um, Everybody my, says that's a worthless degree. Yeah. <laughs> Were you a psychology major? Father? No. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking it. When I hear people say, I'm studying psychology. <laughs> I'm no, a big but, believer in counseling. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but I, I've come to understand that a lot of it is about human emotion and, and, um, and the psychology of that and understanding that and mm. keeping a grip on it. In fact, in, in my line of work, Father, as you said... Um, there are times when emotions start to run very high and we start to lose it. Mm-hmm. And I have um, a saying at those times, usually, and people are used to me saying this, um, 
you know, they'll be screaming, you know, we need to make a decision on this right away. Mm -hmm. And usually I'll say, um, here's what we're going to do. Let's reconvene in the morning. Mm. Um, or as a minimum, let's all take a walk around the block and come back and reconvene. Because I find that when emotions get the better of us, um, which they always do, again, that's another sort of part of the human condition, it's best to step back. One, before we say something, we'll regret later. Um, sometimes that may be a reason why I, I say that, but also because we may make a snap decision that's a mistake. So, yeah, it can be very fearful, but prudence, another great Christian virtue, is something that can keep you confident at a time like this, you know, and you. Prudence doesn't mean don't take risk. It means being careful about the risks you take and understanding the risks that you take. And so if you're taking time and evaluating a decision carefully and you've done your homework and you've run your numbers and you've met with the management team and you know what you're investing in, um, you can recognize uh, a value when you see one. And you're not so easily led by the panic of others. So the be not afraid thing right now is there's a lot of people drawn into, we'll get into a market discussion here, Father, if I'm not careful, but there's a lot of people that are drawn into this market um, now after this big run, not because they have any conviction about it, but simply because it's going up. They're buying going up related stock is what I say. And, and those people can be very dangerous in the market. That's why I think we are probably going to get a little bit of a correction soon. Just that, uh, you know, they don't have conviction. They don't know what they own. They don't know why they're there. And then some little scare comes along and they panic all at once. Mm -hmm. And the market's very prone to this. So being a long-term investor, thinking for the long haul, not for the next deal, um, really helps in this. It helps actually... It helps you be successful. Right. Let me ask you this question. I don't know anything about economics, but it. I just wonder that, like, we're all, we're in a mountain of debt, right? Our country owes is like twenty trillion dollars or something, and it seems like we're living, you know, beyond our means. We're kind of like, you know, exploiting our future generations. Somebody's got to pay this back, presumably, and. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, the economics of that. Is that, like, the single biggest indicator of a coming collapse? Is the debt, global debt? Because <laughs> I'm, like, panicked yeah. about it. Nobody else seems to be that worried about <laughs> No, no, Father, it, it comes up all the time. In fact, um, I was at a big investment uh, meeting just a few days ago, and this was one of the big questions that came up. Yeah. So if you're cautious or bearish about the market right now, that's one reason why you might be. And mm. there's a legitimate uh, line of thinking that that might be an issue. Um, you know, one of the things I, I said then and would say now is that it's very dangerous to simply look at one side, uh, this is another financial term, but one side of the balance sheet. So a balance sheet is a... Uh, a listing of your assets and your liabilities. So debt's a liability. But people that own a home or 
you know, run a household know about a balance sheet in a way. They know they've got a certain level of assets and a certain level of debt, and if they have more assets, they most likely have more debt. For instance, if you have a large house that's worth a lot of money, you probably have a larger element of debt. And if someone just walked by or dropped in from Mars and said, person A has a million dollars of debt and person B has $10,000 of debt, they would say, well, person A must be in big trouble. Mm -hmm. Except they didn't look at the other side of the balance sheet. Person <laughs> A has a $2 million house. <laughs> and so he's got net equity. You know, the house is worth twice as much as the debt. And person mm -hmm. B has nothing and yeah. is actually in the hole for ten grand. is in yeah. an actually deep dodo. Right. So it's not just the level of the debt, but mm -hmm. it's the amount of assets. So the country's wow. wealth is at all-time highs. I mean, um, and think about it, Father, realistically, the next generation is going to inherit the wealth generated by this generation. Mm -hmm. It's trillions of dollars. They could inherit that, pay off the debt, and all go to Disneyland for <laughs> the rest of their lives. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I think we'll be okay, Father. I'm an optimist. Well, let me ask you one more question about the <laughs> the family. <laughs> that you know, as the family breaks down, higher divorce rates, not as many kids, people are having as many children. Um, it seems like it makes people a lot more vulnerable financially. Single indicator, greatest indicator of poverty, I think, for women is single parent being a single parent, and is that is, is like financially. Um, does that have a huge impact on the economy? Because again, it's like the government's got to step in and do what needs to be done, not being taken care of on the individual's level. That you know, if you don't have marriage, you know, you can have the support, best place to raise kids, you can have a home and everything much easier. Does that trouble you <laughs> financially? Well, it troubles me at a human level yeah. first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I mean, much more so than financially, because it's mm -hmm. not a. You know, again, in a country with our kind of wealth, it's not an unmanageable issue for us. But mm. um, yeah, at a personal level, I think you're onto something there, mm. Father. Right? I mean, a lot of the problems in our society today are around the the disintegration of the American family mm. and even the sense of what matrimony means and the sacrament of marriage and. Um, gosh, I see that on the streets of New York, Father. Mm -hmm. You know, the pain of folks that are struggling with these alternative lifestyles or a woman who's had an abortion. Um, you know, they get told all these things by society. They're going to be fine. It was good for their health or whatever. But when, when you destroyed your own child, mm -hmm. um, many women... Uh, you know, are just so deeply disturbed by that for years. Right. And we run into them on the streets of New York. Yeah. And uh, their deep pain is, um, is very, very uh, disturbing and touching. And, you know, they need healing. And certainly mm -hmm. the sacrament of reconciliation can help with that, at least get them on a on a new fresh start it's right. kind of one of our goals often I, I you know that we have this thing called about the unforgivable sin and 
that would be one where people think they're unforgiven. Others are, you know, other things that people are doing. But it, it comes, a lot of it comes down to the disintegration of the family. It's something that I think we really need to work on. I think the Christian message is a very powerful one to counter that. And we, you know, we, we can't be afraid. We, we have the answers, actually, mm -hmm. um, where Christ has the answers. Right. And we're running from it. You know, we're hiding it. We're, yeah. we're holding it under a lampshade in our parishes and out on the streets when we just lovely, lovingly and joyfully confront folks and encounter them and they see the joy that we have and they think to themselves, I want some of that, you know? People are suffering out there, Father. We can't assume that the current society has all the answers. It thinks it does, but it actually doesn't. And people feel it. And they're wandering around on the streets of Soho or a city near you, um, thinking they're supposed to be happy, but deep down they're actually not. I've heard people say that's, that's why the zombie genre is so popular because people feel like they're zombies yeah. you know like we're walking around kind of dazed and everything and i i mean i just every you know i, I think i, I preached this yesterday at saint agatha's feast day you know, a 20 year old young woman took a vow of celibacy pagan emperor or whatever came in and you know wanted to uh abuse her and all that stuff so but I thought it's like an image of the culture. You know, he like he wanted her to get married or yeah. whatever the story is. And yeah. uh, and it's like, you know, that's what I feel like our culture has got all this pressure on young people. Just just live a just the message to live a promiscuous life. And, you know, you have the disease rates and especially for women. Also, the emotional trauma. This isn't really what you want. Yeah. And it leaves you wounded. Yeah. It's like rip you like you. You know, you have the sexual acts that cements you together, emotionally bond you, and then it's torn off. Right. You, you know, you keep They're doing not happy. <laughs> right. And I was, this was supposed to make me happy, and yeah, I'm not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, people are, you know, they think it's a good way to live. And it's like the basic, I just think about one guy at the network employee here tells me that. He said, it's just, there's never anything good from the sexual sin. You know, when we give into that. There's just always going to be some kind of fallout. Yeah. And our whole culture is like so burdened by that right it's now. It's burdened by it, Father. Yeah. And and what I, you know, I one of the messages of the Missionary Wall Street is we have to go outside behind our walls because these folks are out there. And I know we're all afraid to go out there because we're told we're not wanted. Right. And it's useless and hopeless. Right. And it'll never work. I mean, right. all the things that I said... Yeah. When I was first asked to do this, <laughs> they'll be putting cigars out in our foreheads. That's a great you know? expression. That yeah. <laughs> fits in New York. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, what you discover uh, in reading through the pages of this book, I hope, is there's all these people out there suffering. And they almost were just waiting for someone to come out from outside the walls. There's a new openness. And tap them. Yeah, yeah. Tap them on the shoulder. Yeah. That's a great, we'll end with that. That's a great visual for us. <laughs> Come outside the walls. And, uh, 
Yeah, just share this good news. That is yeah. truly good news. Yeah. And it is something different. It's news, not what we're hearing in the culture. So. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Father. Thanks for having me. Yeah.